neurodiversity. It is a lesser understood arena, but an untapped opportunity for many businesses. Rachel Morgan Trimmer highlights that neurodiverse people are up to 50% more productive. They're creative, innovative, and great at problem solving. Like everyone, they just need the right tools to excel, and over half of those cost nothing. In this world of hyper-personalization on every aspect of our lives, and with a little open-mindedness, surely this should be achievable. Um, I've really been looking forward to um, this uh, particular podcast and um, I know as a busy uh, working mum, we've had a few challenges in, in getting our diaries to match. So we're, we're doing an early morning recording here at 7am, um, but hopefully we'll have uh, some peace and quiet for, for you to tell us your story. Yes, hopefully, but nothing is guaranteed. <laughs> Well, we can welcome them in if they come in for their breakfast. Um, but let's start off with, um, I suppose, for people that this is very new language to, um, when they hear the words neurodiverse um, and then they hear the words neurotypical, um, they may struggle to understand um uh, what the terminology means. So I wondered perhaps maybe if you could kick us off this morning, just give it us a bit of an overview on, on what that means to help people understand. Sure. Well, neurodiversity refers to a range of different, uh, a range of conditions, which are essentially brain differences. So conditions that you might have heard of are autism, ADHD, which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. There's dyslexia. Um, some you may not be familiar with are um, dysgraphia or dyspraxia or dyscalculia. Dysgraphia is struggles with writing. Mm-hmm. Dyscalculia is difficulty with numbers and numerical information. And dyscra- dyspraxia sorry, is um, difficulty with fine and gross motor movements and sequencing and things like that. And we use the word neurotypical to describe people who don't have those conditions. So in other words, normal people. <laughs> I think neurotypical is just a much better way to, because I guess we're all different and whether it's neuro or any other of our characteristics, um, we're all kind of intersectional in a lot of ways. Um, but I suppose the the whole science around neurodiversity has really um, only progressed in sort of recent times and a lot of people go undiagnosed um, for for a very long time and you had often said that you grew up um, feeling like a weirdo was up because you hadn't been diagnosed can you give us some insight into your own life um, through your eyes um, what was that what was that like yeah that's true I, I never had any idea that I had either of the conditions autism or ADHD in fact the type of ADHD I have is um, inattentive, which is a less well-known one. It's it's also known as type 2. So when you think of ADHD, you think of people as being hyperactive, particularly little boys, you know, bouncing around the classroom. <laughs> but for yeah. women and girls, that's not a typical presentation. We are the daydreaming kind. Okay. You're staring out the windows, really listening to people and so on. So um, that's only something that's been fairly recently recognised. And it's also the case that women and girls very much go under the diagnosis because the traditional criteria for diagnosing both autism and ADHD is very heavily skewed towards 
um, towards boys and, and towards men. And if you, even now, if you look at the, um, autism, uh, form that they fill it, that you they ask you to fill in, um, before going for an assessment, a lot of the, the sorts of interests and things are very stereotypically male. Mm-hmm. So there's still this, um, this idea that, that women and girls are, are less, um, less likely to have ADHD and autism, but no one really knows because, because so many are flying under the radar and so many are like me in that they, they don't know they've got mm-hmm. these conditions or they, they never knew. And I talk to so many adult women these days who, um, you know, they'll come to my talk or my workshop and they, they say to me, I've got, you know, I'm not, I think I might be a little bit autistic or I think yeah. I might have some of that ADHD. Yeah. So, um, you asked me to, to talk about my own experience, um, growing up and, and this will resonate with, with other people with the conditions. You, you don't know why you're different. You feel like a fish out of water and you don't know why. So with the autism, I, I had now, you know, I didn't understand that other people didn't think the way that I did. And so the, the problems I had are very common to, to other autistic people which mm-hmm. is that you um you have difficulties with with relationships you know with with friendships and with peers all, all kinds of relationships and there's a lot of loneliness and sort of a, a lack of understanding a lack of communication and connection and with the ADHD the the problems are just as acute but very different because with ADHD you can't do anything unless you really want to and mm-hmm. i know that that's something that's common to normal people as well. Everybody has that experience where they don't want to do something, but they've got to do it. But the difference is a neurotypical person can just do it, but somebody with ADHD can't. And it's quite extreme. And some of the, the extremes of, of these conditions are quite surprising to normal people because they, they don't know, um, how, how hard it is and how tiny those obstacles are that stop you doing things. I've, um, I've got a client who had to fill in a form and she didn't do it because the drawer that the form was in was a bit sticky and it was, it yeah. was hard to open. And it's something that tiny can stop you getting a task. She didn't want to fill in the form anyway, because it was boring, but <laughs> I think, um, but yeah, you couldn't and, even get to that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's something that people don't understand. So they say, Oh, we're all a little bit like this, which is true. But I think there's a lack of understanding of the extremes. And when you have that yourself, when you don't understand it yourself, mm. you, you spend a lot of time sort of floundering around wondering why nothing's working and why other people do it and you can't. Is there an, um, is there an awareness there in that, uh, Rachel? You know, with, you know, you were mentioning there earlier about it being quite lonely and isolating because of the, the lack of connection. Um, is there an awareness there about that or is that something that is it is it does it feel like does it feel normal you know so if I you know being neurotypical I think it could be neurodiverse don't know um but you know being neurotypical if I had that isolation I'd be very aware of it I'd be acutely aware of it is that the same or is that different yeah it is and in fact it might we might even be more aware of it because Almost all neurodiverse people are very, very sensitive, no matter mm-hmm. what condition they have. We're very sensitive to, um, you know, we feel things very deeply and yeah. things hold a lot of meaning for us. So, um, I think in a lot of ways we feel that more than other people and it is, it is very lonely. And my experience was very similar to, um, 
to women of, of my age, you know, older women who have, have never been yeah. diagnosed, um, in that you have mental health issues as a result of it, but your difficulties are put down to those mental health issues. There's no sort of digging uh, yeah. beneath what's causing those. So I, in my situation, I had mental health problems running concurrently with my, my ADHD and my autism. And those meant that, um, you know, I just thought I was depressed because that's, that was who I was. Yeah. It never occurred to me that there was something else going, going on behind it. So is were the mental health, health issues more of a, a not a, I don't know what the right word is, a, a symptom or an outcome of the, the, the anxiety that was being caused by the undiagnosed neurodiversity? They, they were both a symptom and run concurrently, if that makes sense. So in one way, um, my mental health issues were a result of my undiagnosed conditions, mm-hmm. but they also, they were also there anyway, if you see what I mean, because there's, um, you know, with some people, there's more than one cause of, yeah. Yeah, of it things can be, like that. And some, yeah, and sometimes things the cause happen. is unknown. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Things that are happening around you. Yes, um, right. So how did you turn... Uh, how did that things turn around for you? When did you just, you know, when did you manage to get an understanding of, of what was going on? Um, what, you know, where was that turning point for you? It wasn't at one point. It was a very gradual realisation, which, again, is not uncommon. It's not, I mean, you have these sort of light bulb moments as you go, but it's still quite a long, a long journey. So the first mm. light bulb moment I had was um, a long, long time ago, maybe even 20, 15, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. I was reading a magazine article on what was then called ADD. It's now, that's attention deficit disorder, but now it's all grouped as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I read an article on it and it said, here are six symptoms. And I had five of them. Yeah. I had the sixth one, but I didn't realise it at the time <laughs> because again, it didn't present typically yeah. for me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I've I've got this. And I, um, sometime after that, I saw a psychiatrist for my mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And I said, I think I've got AD, ADD because I've got all the symptoms. Mm-hmm. And um, he didn't understand it at all. He didn't think it was possible. He, he didn't understand it? No. A psychiatrist? Which is not, yeah, which is not uncommon at all. Okay. Like, you sound surprised, but that's that's like a normal um, <laughs> a normal experience for people like me. We right. tend to end up knowing more about our conditions than even a mental health professional. And at the time, it was a lot less understood than it is now. And one of the things that he said was, um, if I tell you something, can you remember it? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, then you haven't got AD, ADHD. But Did he understand I, ADD or did he just dismiss that you might have it because you were a woman? And because a bit it of wasn't, both. Right. He was dismissive of me anyway, but okay. he also... He didn't have an understanding of, of ADHD. And when he asked me to, he, when he said, if I could remember things, I couldn't have ADHD, that didn't make any sense because hyperfocus is actually one of the symptoms. Yeah, you should remember Which, more. You, If you want to, you can remember anything. So I, when I was at school, um, I could remember massive chunks of Shakespeare and memorise it and then use yeah. it in exams. So, of course, no one thought there was anything wrong with me because... Um, I could remember all the stuff, but it's yeah. because I love Shakespeare. I'm smart, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, that that was one example. And with the autism, again, that was more more weeping. And I saw um, a therapist um, 
about a year and a half ago, and he gave me one of those forms, which I complained about because it was, you know, all about cars and trains and, mm-hmm. and boys stuff. And I said, this isn't really appropriate, but I filled it in anyway to get my referral. And, and he said then that, because I already kind of knew, and he said then there was no doubt in his mind that um, that I have autistic traits. Mm-hmm. So your diagnosis really only came quite recently? I haven't had it yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm self-diagnosed. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm still still on the waiting list, and I went. Um, you know, even before that, I've, I've I've just cited two examples: the the first and the most recent. There's mm-hmm. been several in between that. In between. I've approached doctors and things like that, and said, "I think I've got this," and and again being dismissed and not being yeah referred or or trying to get a private referral and taking one look at the form and said, "This is for boys. This is not yeah. for me. You, you not- can't diagnose me through this." Yeah. So, um, like a lot of people with autism and ADHD, I'm self-diagnosed and a self diagnosis is as or more valid than a medical one because we're not coming at it from a medical point of view some Mm. of us don't believe it's necessarily a medical condition but and we know more about some of those unusual characteristics like I I mentioned the hyperfocus we actually know more about that than a lot of um medical health professionals Mm -hmm. so yeah um, a lot of us because I've, I've you know I mentioned the first approach I had was 15 20 years ago and I'm still waiting for a diagnosis so it's not something that's a, a speedy process. And so self-diagnosis is, is absolutely valid. No, but I think it's probably that, you know, you know, whatever it is, whenever you don't understand something that's going on, you know, within your body um, and you do, then something something clicks, the relief that must give. And that, you know, that's really what you want is to, to understand. Because um, I think... One of the things that you've kept in, you know, is not not understanding what's going on, not just even yeah. for the people that are around you, but for you, for inside, you know, inside yourself. Um, so let's talk about business then. Um, you've you've started um a number of successful businesses. Um, how did you get into business? You know, from you know, what was your path from school? What was that journey like? Um, what inspired you to to do that? Well, I'd always wanted to set up my own business, which is not uncommon for um, autistic people in particular, because um, we like to do things our own way. (laughs) So um, after I left school, I went to university and then I went to work in New York for a little while as an Mm -hmm. editor. Um, Then I took a career break and then I came back to the UK where I worked for an advertising agency that I worked for. Um, a gap year company and it was working for the, the gap year company which was a very small company the first small, very small company I'd ever worked for which made me realize that I could set up my own business because before I wanted to do it but I thought you know I was working in these big skyscrapers in New York and I was like how do I get from from being me to to <laughs> running this ginormous company and then when I worked yeah. for a small company I realized oh, I didn't have to I could just I all I need is a desk and a laptop and some ideas yeah so that's what inspired me and to set up my travel company in fact which was um which is for career breaks because I was doing this gap year stuff and so many adults the, the parents of the gap year kids would come up to me go I wish I could do something like this and there was nothing for them at the time so I took a career break myself and then I, I set up the career break site when I came, when I came back, you know, just with a, a laptop. In fact, my first office was in a cupboard under the stairs <laughs> in my house. The, oh, the, the classic startup journey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, 
And then, so I ran that for a while and, um, I still own it and it's, it's now run by, um, an MD in America because we expanded to America officially at the beginning of this year. So we have an American yeah. MD running, running that office and running most of the operation for us. And the reason I did that is because I set up Sparkle Plus, um, which is my neurodiversity consultancy. Um, it was about a, a year, year and a half ago, but I started it very small, just sort of on the side as a side hustle, just doing bits and pieces part time until this year when it really took off. Um, what in, what um, what prompted you to make that move? Obviously, you have a successful business running, um, and you know I can imagine that it can be quite challenging to talk about um, talk about this in the public domain um, for a number of reasons. But what inspired you to to step forward and, and move into this space? Well, I had so many struggles with my first business with just getting stuff done, mm-hmm. and then. I gradually um, develop my own tools. I've got tons and tons of little tricks and things and um, planners and stuff like that that I use to to keep it going because I can't do things the way normal people did. Mm-hmm. I, I tried and tried for years. I'd you know I'd be googling how to do this, how to do that, and all the advice was for neurotypical people. And yeah. they say do a thing, and I'm like, I can't do a thing. It's very easy to do a thing, you know, but I can't. And once I had that realisation, I was like, well, if I can't do the thing, I will find a different way of doing it or I'll do something else instead that will still work. Yeah. So for a while I've been thinking, I've got all this stuff here in my office. I've got all this knowledge and all these tools and techniques and I'm just using them myself. And I thought, loads of other people could benefit from this, not just people with with ADHD, because with Ransom's mm-hmm. ADHD was actually a bigger problem than the, the autism. Um, but I thought I'm, I'm selfish keeping all this to myself. I should be sharing this with, with neurotypicals because I, I mentioned earlier, um, that the way we, the way our brains work and that the challenges that we have are extreme. But the tools we use can be dialed back a bit to be used by everybody. Mm-hmm. So for example, I, I can't do anything without a schedule. I just wait. Nothing happens without me writing things down about three times. So a normal person won't have to do that, write it down three times, but a schedule is still really useful. Yeah. So that's how I had the idea. And I started, um, I started offering coaching for, for people like me who didn't understand, um, you know, why, why things were so hard for them. And I was actually inspired to do that by my own coach. I got myself an ADHD coach mm-hmm. a couple of, uh, maybe three, four years ago. And, um, and she helped me enormously. And after a while, I thought, you know, I, I could be doing this for other people. And then um, I realized I, I needed to do training on and, and public speaking about neurodiversity so that employers and colleagues would understand the challenges of neurodiverse people and be able to adapt to their needs and, yeah. and help them. Because once we're on a roll, we are really, really good at what we do and and in terms of the stuff, the work that I've done, a lot of the ideas I've had have been innovative, which is typical for a neurodiverse person. Yeah. We're really creative. We have tons of ideas. We're really good at problem solving. And those are our strengths. And I really wanted to help people. Um, I, I started off wanting to help people with their challenges. And now I also help them look at their strengths because, you know, they come to me and go, I'm having trouble with this. I'm having trouble with that. I need help with this. And I was like, we can do all that. But what are you good at? What are you really good at? What can we work on? What can we sort of build on 
to to build on your strengths to make you really good at the things that you're good at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you think about all the things that, you know, you need to do your job, you know, and the things that you're describing are no different. They're just different tools that that someone um, who has um, one of any of the neurodiverse conditions that you've touched upon. You know, it's just about personalising the toolkit, I suppose, yeah. um, for each yeah, person, um, regardless of of um, of of that. Um, so you um, so in through your through your work, obviously, you have hacked all these alternative ways of of doing things. And many listeners that um, will be listening to us today um, will be on that entrepreneurial path who have. Um, neurodiverse conditions either they may suspect it or they may have self-diagnosed or whatever it is and as you said neuro traits do lend themselves strongly to business and technology because of that creativity and innovation um what advice would you have for um uh, i came up with a word today a neuro trump i can't even pronounce it now (laughs) i mean it looked right it looked great when i wrote it in the script (laughs) Neuropreneurs, um, mm-hmm. what would your advice be for for people that are um, who have neuro and um, are starting out or are in business right now based on your own experiences? What kind of tools and things could they use to make their lives easier? I think it's good to get advice and, and information from a lot of different places because um, you know while I said it's important to, to do your do things your own way. You know, for something like SEO, Google's algorithm is only going to work one way. So mm-hmm. if it's sort of factual information like that, then, you know, go ahead and take it. But I think it's really useful to, to sift and filter all that information and advice you're coming in, that's coming in or that you go looking for and start tailoring it and shaping it into what you need. Because I always have this thought that you need to take everything, you know, every successful entrepreneur was, um, was, the think the way they were doing things was right for everyone, which is of course is not true. It might be right mm-hmm. for them and a certain type of person. So taking that information and filtering it and, and working out what you can use and what's going to work for you is going to be really helpful. Because if you have a look at um there's a lot of articles that says this is what successful people do and this yeah. is what Steve Jobs did. And you're and you're like, well you're not like that though and you might not want to, to be like that anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's vitally important to to do that and also to um to not be afraid or or embarrassed by some of the things that you need to do to to get through the day because i use startups a lot which people associate with children star charts yeah you know like a reward chart you get a star yeah and then if you get enough stars you get a little prize yeah um i was embarrassed by this because startups are children but the thing is if you've got a neurodevelopmental condition like me, it literally means part of your brain doesn't develop beyond a certain point, which is why we have a lot of childlike tendencies and mm-hmm. traits, which is one of the reasons we we tend to be more open-minded and, and fun as well. <laughs> um, but it also means that some of the tools we use are, you know, we can we can be a bit embarrassed by them, but they work and they work for normal people as well. And um, And my husband pointed out to me that, a star chart is not that different from a sales bonus. You still get reward for doing a, a good work or even, you know, an award ceremony, you're getting a, yeah. a reward yeah. for good work. So just because it's a little bit different doesn't mean it's something that's bad to use or, yeah. or something that's wrong. And that's something I, I talk about quite a lot because I feel I had a lot of resistance to this. I thought I should be able to work like a normal person. Yeah. I should be able to do things the same way as everybody else, but I can't. 
I love the quote from the US military, which is, if it works, but it's stupid. Sorry, I'll say that again. I love this quote from the US military, which is, if it's stupid, but it works, it's not stupid. Yeah. No, definitely. If you're enjoying the podcast, simply hit the like and subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform. If you have the time, leave us a review. You can do that really easily by going to ratemypodcast.com forward slash fast forward. Um, I've been to been in, in quite a few different sales jobs, uh, Rachel, and I can tell you I would have much preferred a star chart than some of the other ways that they publicly <laughs> pre- presented what, what your daily performance was um, and yeah. made you feel yeah. not so great about yourself. So getting the old star on the chart would have made me probably a lot more productive in those in those roles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you work with um, uh, other entrepreneurs and, and business leaders who have um, who are neurodiverse, um, mm-hmm. but you also help um, companies to become more inclusive. Um, so to help neurotypical um, businesses or um, uh, business owners to help support neurodiverse uh, people in their business or to attract them. Um, yeah. where, where can businesses start when it comes to improving that element of inclusivity in their business? Well, I think the first place to start is recognising that we're an asset. You mentioned it at the beginning. The stats are very clear. Neurodiverse employees are 30 to 50% more productive than normal people. And if you don't care about anything else, having someone who whose output is, is great, you know, greater than a normal person's is you know, perhaps the top, it might be the, the main reason that you want to hire somebody like that. And um, we've got a lot of other strengths as well. We've got, you know, there's a problem solving that I mentioned, the creativity. Mm-hmm. Dyslexics are really good at things like um, spotting patterns, making connections. We do tend to work very fast. We tend to learn very quickly as well. So the, uh, the onboarding is quicker. Mm-hmm. And it is true that we have um, different needs from other people. And that's what puts people off. And I think having an open-minded attitude to our our needs is really positive because people are sometimes encounter a bit of resistance because they think it's going to be expensive, which it's not, because nearly 60% of adaptations that are made for neurodiverse people cost nothing mm-hmm. at all. So that's I think that's a really important thing to remember. And also we're not that that challenging. They think, you know, we need to have loads of stuff or we might kick off because a lot of us um you know our emotional regulation is not as good as as normal people's um but it's you know as long as things are the way that we need them and and we can work in a in an optimal way sometimes all you need is noise cancelling headphones or a quiet room or a window these things are simple they're not complicated and i think as well one of the the key issues is communication because as long as people are talking about what they need and you know that your boss is receptive to those things, you're already streets ahead of any anyone else because you're not making assumptions. People can be clear about what they need. They're not worrying. They're not anxious. And as a manager, you're not trying to second guess people or, or patronize people. Um, you, you know, if people can ask for what they need and you can offer things as well that you think are going to be useful. So again, that's another part of, of how communication is, is good, saying, would you like this or would you like that? And if you mm-hmm. offer them to everybody, then you're not singling out the neurodiverse people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think about the the world that we live in now, it's all about personalization. Everything is personalized. 
So why would your work, your workspace or your workplace not, you know, be any different? Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think it's important to recognise as well that we all have needs. Mm. So, you you know, somebody might be resistant to hiring an autistic because they think, well, they're, they're going to need quiet all the time, which one, is not true. And two, nobody can work if someone is sitting next to them playing Wagner at top volume, <laughs> can they? No. So we, I mean, I would appreciate noise cancelling headphones. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think it's, yeah. you know, we, we, we do have, specific strengths we do have specific challenges and mm-hmm. even, again like i said earlier these are just more pronounced than those of normal people and normal people have needs mm-hmm. as well and we accommodate those without a problem you know if you go to an office there's um you know you have to have your desk set up correctly so you don't get backache you need yeah. to have access to the toilet you need a coffee break you, you've yeah. got needs the same as anybody else just because the needs are different doesn't mean that they have to be expensive or difficult yeah. or, or that they're not valid as well yeah yeah. And are there typical barriers that neurodiverse people face? Is there like common um, mistakes that companies make or, um, you know, just the, you know, is there sort of common barriers that um, that neurodiverse people face that businesses could, you know, immediately just address and, you know, become more aware of? Well, the big one is hiring neurodiverse people in the first place because mm-hmm. 80% of neurodiverse people are out of work. Which wow. is quite shocking, really. No, it, I should point out with that statistic, not every neurodiverse person is able to work because you might have people who, you know, with um, severe autism who also have learning difficulties, for example, yeah. who, who may not be able to work. But 80% is a lot. And I think, um, I can't remember the source off the top of my head, but I think 70%, 77% of autistics want to work. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's no lack of desire in, in working, but there are, there are significant barriers to getting into work in the first place. So inclusive hiring practices are very much the first port of call because you can't be inclusive to neurodiverse, you can't be inclusive to neurodiverse employees if you can't get them through the yeah, door in the first place. if you have them there, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, looking at it all the way through from hiring people to supporting them when they get there, you know, all the way through and uh, and celebrating their their differences as well rather than trying to brush them under the carpet you know enabling them to do their best work by doing what they're really good at which might be very stereotypical i mean i, I work with a lot of autistics in um, the tech industry yeah. for example which is very much a stereotype but that's you know that's where they are and that's that's where they're happy but um not many companies have inclusive hiring processes at the moment and how can they what kind of things could a could a company do um, you know, to to start making those kind of, you know, I think about marginal gains here in terms of, you know, there's no, I think, massive, you know, sea change that they need to make, but it's probably a culmination of small changes that they could implement through through their hiring process. Like what could they do from, you know, is it is it to do with job adverts? Is it where or how they present them? Um, you know, where, where does that, those um, changes begin? Well, the... Um the, hi- the traditional hiring process where you send your CV in or you do an application form and then go for an interview, mm-hmm. those are quite challenging for a lot of neurodiverse people. Dyslexics, for example, um, people with severe dyslexia are going to struggle mm-hmm. with anything written. Yeah. So having, you know, why isn't there the option for video, a video interview instead? But they don't yeah. offer that. Sometimes they say, um, you know, contact us if you've got special needs, but offering the same the same options to all 
different kinds of people. It's a, yeah. you know, just that special needs one is much more inclusive. Yeah. And then with the interview process, um, some people don't do that at all anymore. Inclusive companies don't do that. They do it in other ways. They'll do placements instead or they, um, they just hire people on a probationary basis straight away without the interview because you can't really get an idea of what somebody's like. Yeah. And interview and autistic people or people with conditions that give them a lot of anxiety are going to stuff up an interview and they yeah. can be the best employee you've ever had. But because they can't sit at a desk and perform like a normal person, you've lost out. I was actually um, always quite good at interviews because I was really good at masking, which is quite common for autistic girls, like pretending to be a normal person. Yeah. And acting the way that you do, that, that you think normal people do, acting the way people want you to. Um, I was really good at that, but the downside of that is it's very, very stressful. Yeah. And it takes up exhausting of energy. It's, it, yeah, it's so tiring. I have felt since um, since embracing my differences, I do actually have more energy because I don't have to pretend to be somebody I'm not all the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, they just sound like so, so such simple changes that companies can can make. They just have to be open to you know try you know what's the worst thing that's going to happen if you know it, it doesn't work out. You know, if they just give it a go. Um, so businesses then, you help them understand that the sort of the key aspects of neurodiversity and um, help them to become sort of inclusive from top to bottom or is it bottom to top or is it starting at the hiring process or what, what what's your approach to when you're working with a, with, with a business for the first time? Well, I think it has to go all the way through. So, um, you know, when I've, when I've worked with people, it's, it's been from the CEO, um, mm-hmm. to, to, um, you know, somebody in a, in an assistance role or something. Yeah. And, and across as well, like different, different sorts of, uh, jobs across the, the whole company. But some companies have that stricter hierarchy anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very much based on, um, on sort of your output and the sort of work that you're doing as you know what what you're actually producing rather than your your job title or your your level and i think um in in talking about this it's important to to recognize that people are there because everybody's got something valuable to contribute and being inclusive helps everybody in the organization so while your neurodiverse people might be more productive than normal people just having them in the workplace um they've they've done studies on this that there's all sorts of benefits, like you've got lower staff absence, you've got better collaboration, you've got more productivity um, and more revenue from, from innovation projects. And that's from the neurotypical people as well. Yeah. So when I say, you know, be inclusive because it's important to, to neurodiverse people, those benefits start to creep out throughout the organisation. So everybody starts to benefit. And I think part of that is not just the attitude, but the fact that when you're offering this this flexibility or this in- inclusivity and these adaptations, you're offering them to everybody. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you get your, your first autistic person in, you might say, oh, you can work flexibly if you want to, because you're going to do your best work if you're working flexibly. And then you offer that to everyone else because you have yeah. to. And then suddenly somebody with kids um, is able to, to adjust their hours more and then they get more done and they're less stressed because they've got that flexibility. And then yeah. someone else who doesn't need flexible working, 
realize is they're in a place where people actually care about their employees. So you can see how it's like a ripple effect. Yeah. When you start being inclusive to neurodiverse people, everybody benefits and ultimately the company benefits as well because they become, you know, with that productivity going up, they become more profitable. Has, do you think um, COVID and lockdown has helped or hindered, um, you know, neurodiverse people, I guess, because now flexible working, for example, one of the ones you just touched on is now, stand, you know, that's standard for everybody, but that's been brought around by COVID. Do you think that will open yeah. up new opportunities or do you think that the whole lockdown experience has had a negative effect? Um. My experience for, with people that I've talked to has been it, the um, the effect of lockdown has been largely positive for neurodiverse people for a number of reasons. One is that, um, for a start, everybody stays away from us. <laughs> the, the social distancing thing is something that I just, um, you know, it's something that we've wanted for years. People are always too close and now okay. they're staying away. It's just people not being in your face it just makes yeah. such a difference yeah um so your personal but, but, space area is a bit bigger than neurotypical people's yeah yeah <laughs> yes <it is. laughs> um yeah so so that's one example but also talking to other uh, neurodiverse people um not having a commute has been very helpful mm-hmm. for a lot of people um not having to make small talk has been quite good for people and um, having the flexibility of, you know, some people have switched from nine to five to, um, you know, we, you mentioned at the beginning, we, we started this at seven, which yeah. is me. Sometimes yeah. I work in the evening. And again, it's, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm hearing that from, from other people where they can, they do different work at different times of day and they actually are more creative late at night and they can do that mm. now. Some of the downsides have been, um, Zoom is exhausting people don't think that's a neurodiverse thing <laughs> yeah everybody. it's exhausting yeah it's exactly exhausting. it's exhausting for everybody yeah. if you if you can't read body language it's worse okay um yeah but kids um, are up <laughs> the kids can you up. hear them yeah they're that's fine in another no. room but that's fine don't really worry loud. morning kids oh god yeah just crack on this is the new world we are in rachel so. that's actually that's another advantage of um of being neurodiverse and, and working from home because if you're able to hyper focus you can screen that out because people okay. think you know sometimes having adhd things are distracting but other times you're able to just because you're used to processing so many different streams of information anyway when the kids start kicking off and you're working, you just sort of screen it out. Okay. Which I know a lot of normal people can't do. Yeah. So that's, again, that's another advantage. And so those have been, um, those have been some of the, the advantages and disadvantages from, uh, you know, that's happened from lockdown. Obviously, um, it's very different for, for different people because I know that loneliness has been a big problem mm. for, you know, neurodiverse yeah. and neurotypical people who, who live alone. That's been a big issue. Some of the um, practical issues have been um, been a challenge. I can't stand queuing, for example. So that's yeah. been a problem. One of the positive effects of lockdown for neurodiverse people is that a lot of us have um, tried to volunteer our time to help other people. In fact, at the beginning of lockdown, I held a webinar with a bunch of other neurodiverse people to help those who'd lost their job or been furloughed or who had to pivot their business because we're really good at creative problem solving and we thought, why don't we use these skills to help people? 
and that was that was quite successful actually and uh, and I know other neurodiverse people have have done quite similar things done what they can to help other people and I think obviously that benefits others but it benefits us as well because we we're feeling like we're contributing yeah. and doing something useful and one thing I'm still offering actually is a half hour get it together session because some people got crazy busy and they just needed somebody to they, or they wanted to start a new project or they had to pivot their their business or whatever so we do it in half an hour because of my ADHD I can work really fast and, and come <laughs> yeah. up with some ideas and yeah. I've, I did a few of I've done a few of those now and I'm, I'm still doing them and um, it's really rewarding because people just need a, a starting point they've got all these ideas they need someone to help nail them down and, and come up with a plan and you can, people don't believe you can do it in half an hour you can't do everything in half an hour but you can actually get a starting plan mm-hmm. in half an hour and it's, it's been really rewarding for me and it's been a way that um I've been able to offer help without encroaching too much on my my work time as well because we all have limited time you know I've, yeah you know I've got the kids and I'm renovating my house as well and I've got two businesses and things so I wanted to help yeah. but realistically I didn't have hours and hours of time to give like like people who are furloughed so being able to do these these little webinars and these half hour sessions were a way that I could feel that I could contribute without um without spending yeah, too much time on it paying a, a big price on your own personal demands yeah 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 exactly and I think think doing things like that it helps build our confidence and helps us you know feel valued when we're able to contribute to to something like that when we're able to feel part of things which is something that a lot of us don't feel very often and feel that we're doing some good and, and, and being useful as well. yeah yeah and these are all these are all things that everyone um feels so I think whilst everyone has their differences there's also very many um similarities too um so um neurotypical people um you know it comes down to education and even just taking the time to listen to this podcast is the first step for for people that may not even have any awareness um of of the um uh you know of of this whole area of, of conversation um what kinds of advice could you give to neurotypical people to help them to start getting a better understanding of their neurodiverse colleagues what could they do well i think having an open mind is a the first step and you know listening to people are trying to understand and and understanding that a lot of the stuff we do is is actually kind of weird i mean you, you mentioned at the beginning at the that I grew up feeling like a weirdo because that's the title of one of the talks that I give. We we are different. That's fine to acknowledge and accept. And some of the things we do are weird, and that's that's fine too. And I think it's important to um, to be open minded to that and understand that that we do we do think differently, but also that we've got a lot of strengths because some people still think people like me are just a big problem, mm. a big you know, a challenge which is yeah. difficult and we do have we do have challenges and to be perfectly blunt sometimes we are quite we can be quite hard work like everybody else you know we get upset quite easily sometimes and um sometimes we, we struggle if things aren't aren't done the way that that we need them to be because we're so sensitive to those things but mm-hmm. the flip side of that is we are incredibly loyal friends um we work very hard when when the conditions are right we will help you out you know Autistic people are really good at doing a job that you might find boring. Um, you know, we have a, an awful lot to give. And I think the fact that we we do make good friends because we, you know, we tend to be less judgmental and a bit more open-minded than people, that, than a lot of other people, is something that gets missed a lot. 
Yeah. Um, nice. That's really nice advice. Um, well, we're coming out of um, lockdown-ish, kind of, <laughs> sort of, um, or maybe not. Um, but what's next for you and Sparkle class, Rachel? What's the plan? I would, well, I'd really like to get back to doing things um, in real life because I've adapted everything I do to, to doing it online. Mm-hmm. It's quite a lot. So I deliver my workshops and stuff online, um, but it's not as rewarding for me at least is mm-hmm. doing it in real life so I'm really looking forward to to getting back to real life um and I've got some I've got quite a few projects coming up uh various things that I want to produce to to help educate people and um sort of taking a slightly different angle as well because I you know I do a lot of research as part of my job and there's a lot of negativity still around neurodiversity as I, I mm-hmm. mentioned earlier so I think carrying on promoting the positives of neurodiversity and the fun side as well, because we, we are actually quite fun. Those childlike tendencies I mentioned earlier, they do make us quite fun to be around a lot of the time yeah. and help us produce sort of fun fun things to, to read or to, to digest. I produce quite a lot of graphics for social media, actually, which have been really popular because they're, they're easy to understand for, for everybody, not just neurodiverse yeah. people. And I like, I like making stuff as well. So I think... Um, I think just doing more of that would be good. And the other thing that I'm trying to do is to build my own network of neurodiversity advocates who have the same attitude as me, you know, to be open-minded, to to understand that we're not a problem, to focus more on the positives while acknowledging the challenges. Mm -hmm. And since I started Sparkle Class, I've met quite a few people like that who do a similar job to me or work in the same field Mm. who who really have that that same attitude and it's not it's still not that common so I'm sort of trying to build that up and, and promote um promote this attitude along with with various colleagues and one of the other things I'm trying to do as well is um try and get our field a little bit more diverse because it's overwhelmingly white at the moment and I knew that but until Black Lives Matter I didn't really do anything about it so it empowered me because people were, you know, black colleagues um, outside the industry were saying, yeah. you know, you need to be talking about this. You need to be amplifying people's voices. It's not just enough to say you support. You need to actually do something. So I actually reached out to uh, non-white people in neurodiversity, and there aren't many of them. I mm-hmm. said, um, you know, can we can we get on board? Can we can I um, put your name forward for panels and things like that. And it's not just about having a black face, which is tokenistic. Yeah. It's about having a black voice, listening to black people's voices because they, their experiences in neurodiversity are different. They also have, um, they're underdiagnosed like women. I was going to ask, you know, yeah. is it, is it, you know, you think about, you know, you think about all of the, the barriers and obstacles that, you know, once you, you know, if you're a woman in business, well, if you're a black woman in business, well, if you're a black woman in business with the neurodiverse, you know, yeah. w- you know, is it, is it a, a needle in a haystack of needles in a haystack of needles, you know, um, but is yeah. it because of that lack of understanding, you know, if they don't even consider women as general, as a gender, you know, that we're now niche in, in the, in, you know, in the neurodiverse um, arena. Um, yeah 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 so it's yeah it's, and it's really important as well to because in my work I try and be inclusive because obviously it's part of my job mm-hmm. and accessible and I'm trying to do that with 
all kinds of inclusivity. So, you know, with gender and race as well as neurodiversity, because yeah. you, know, you have to remember these things don't stand alone. And I think it's, it's really important to remember all of those things when you're, when you're trying to be inclusive to, and physical disabilities as well, mm-hmm. because a lot of neurodiverse people also have a physical disability. So just working on sort of educating myself as well mm-hmm. while I'm, while I'm doing this work, educating myself about, about these conditions and about people who have other conditions alongside them and how we can best be inclusive and accessible to everybody. Yeah. Just uh, so, just such fit for thought, you know, um, to think that the field of neurodiversity is not diverse, even though it's, it's, imbe- it's embedded in diversity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I know, exactly. I know, I do, I do understand what you mean. And it's just such an interesting point. Um, you know, I've really appreciated listening to your story this morning, uh, Rachel, and um, the advice and insight that you've given us um, to um, the world of, uh, of neurodiversity. So thank you so much for that. Um, we do always like to end on a little bit of advice um, from our guests. Um, so I was wondering just to wrap the show today, if was there, you know, could you share maybe a tip or two that maybe changed things for you or something that you tell clients um, that you're working with? What could, um, what would be those one or two things that we could um, give people to take away today? I would really like people to acknowledge the fact that they need help if they need help, because it's something I didn't do for such a long time. There's help available for your, um, you know, your neurodiverse conditions or your mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And so many people just sit at home struggling or go to work and struggle. And there's, there's help available. So if you need help at work, even if you're self-employed with your neurodiversity, a government grant called Access to Work can help pay for that. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily, uh, doesn't have to be a financial barrier to it and in terms of um of mental health um i was severely mentally ill for 38 years and i got some help i mean i, I was trying to for years but um i got better last year so wow. it's after thinking that i wasn't going to just yeah. because i went to the gp and i got the referral and so on so whether it's neurodiverse issues or your mental health I'd like you to understand that you deserve to get help. Mm -hmm. And I know it's difficult to get help. It's difficult to pick up the phone and be put on a waiting list and and this and that. But you deserve the help and it can make such a difference to your life if you get the help that you need. Because you can't do it all on your own. Thank you for that. Um, For those uh, listening that may have those struggles and um, may be finding it hard to ask for help. Hopefully Rachel's advice and um, insight will help you make that, take that first step and, and reach out and hopefully then get a better night's sleep. Thank you. No problem. Thank you for inviting me. Fast Forward is a weekly interview podcast brought to you by Tech Manchester, an incubator for digital and creative startups in the Northwest. I'm your host, Patricia Keating. The podcast is produced by Sarah Belli, audio editing by Jamie Gownlock, and music by Parma Violence. If you've any questions, feel free to drop us a line at info at techmanchester.co.uk or follow us on any of our social channels, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. 
Allender, Tech Manchester.